Welcome to you, especially if you're visiting this evening. We're thrilled to have you with us. And if you're here for the very first time, it may be helpful for you to know something about me. My name is John, and with my wife, Debbie, we moved, and our two sons, we moved from London to Nottingham with six other people 21 years ago, a little over, to start this church. I used to be a jeweler before I was a pastor, and I ride a motorbike. Now, those are some factual things about me, but they don't really tell you who I am. And as I'll be talking to you for the next half hour or so, I think it's only fair you know something about the person that you're listening to. So maybe the best way you can get to know me a little bit more is for me to tell you a few brief stories. I am very committed to what I'm committed to. Now, I'm not very good at football or volleyball or squash, but I give it 100% and uh, often get injured in the process. I used to play squash twice a week with a couple of our pastors, Nigel Briggs, who's on the front row, and Tom Murphy. And uh, I had to retire because I feared that my inability to just simply play the game, like enjoy the game, and pushing myself to get every ball back against players who were better than me, and getting bruised, crashing into the walls, actually might lead to something worse than that, might actually lead to a heart attack. So I no longer play squash. I love bodyboarding and surfing, and many years ago in California, I went in the sea on a day no one should have gone in the sea. After a storm, there were massive waves, and uh, I was one of 112 people rescued off that beach that day, and, uh, but I was surrounded at one point by 16 lifeguards, paramedics, fire personnel, speedboat, jeeps, trucks, everything, oxygen, backboard, the whole deal. And um, you'll be pleased to know, well, I got slammed, you won't be pleased to know this, but I, I dislocated my shoulder getting slammed on the bottom of the ocean under a thousand tons of water. You'll be pleased to know that I'm more mature now than I was then. I love a couple of things. I love powerful cars, and I love value for money, which combines really well in owning a 16-year-old souped-up Saab 9.5. Now, I bought our current car for five and a half thousand pounds. One of its previous owners, it was the passion and love of his life, he invested 25,000 pounds in souping it up, rebuilding it completely, every moving part's been replaced, and enhancing its performance to a mere 400 brake horsepower. My sons have taken on board my wisdom, and both now also own Saab 95 Aeros, coincidentally, as you see, of similar color <laughs> to my own. One of the greatest joys of my life is my grandson. And when he comes around, it doesn't matter how busy I am with work, that all gets set aside, and I get on the floor with him and play or take little walking tours. Now he's walking around the house, exploring the wonders of what's in every single cupboard or what's in the garden to squeals of laughter, mainly from me. <laughs> I hope that those little stories tell you more about me than a few facts ever could. And from these stories, you might learn that I sometimes push myself physically harder than is wise. I enjoy quality things without having to pay very much for them. And I am a complete softie when it comes to children. We all have stories that we tell, some over and over again. There may be one or more from your childhood that your parents or family members like to tell about you to embarrass you. Every other month or so, 
Sometimes more regularly here at Trent, we do a newcomer's meal and uh, people who are exploring joining the church. Debbie tells our personal story and how God led us to start this church. And uh, I've listened to her tell that story now hundreds of times. And every time it feels like she's telling it for the first time. I never get bored of hearing it. She never gets bored of telling it because it isn't just our story. It's actually the church's story. It's impossible to overestimate the power of stories. They reveal something about who we are, where we come from, and where we're going. And they aren't just fun to tell. They help us make sense of our lives. They shape our identities or give our lives meaning and purpose. So I wonder, what story are you telling yourself about your own life? Maybe it's a love story, whether it's about a romantic relationship or whether it's family and friends. The most important thing in your life maybe is relationships with people around you. Maybe it's a story about some great triumph, overcoming difficulties and achieving something amazing, be it financial success, career advancement, sporting prowess, or some other achievement that's at the heart of your story. I was delighted to hear that the granddaughter of one of our church members yesterday got a gold medal, yes, for swimming in the Commonwealth Games. I've momentarily forgotten her name. Ellie, yes. Maybe it's an adventure story, and what gives your life meaning is having some purpose to fulfill, making the world, perhaps, through your efforts, a better place. It may even be a tragedy, and that would be typifying the way you see your life. The stories we tell ourselves about our lives are in many ways what we build our lives on. I want to talk today about the story that I build my life on, and many of you do too, a story that I believe is the most important story ever told. That is the gospel story. The word gospel is a kind of churchy word. It means good news. The gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ. And this is a story that many of us may feel that we know at least a little bit about. And, and like all good stories, it has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end. In fact, the end still is yet to come. It starts with God who is perfect and holy, creating all things, including us. He created us to live in perfect relationship with Him and with each other. And then we have the dramatic middle section of the story where we chose not to live in relationship with God. We chose to turn our backs on Him. But God didn't give up on us. So He sent His Son, Jesus, to live among us, to show us what God is like. And we might even know some of the scenes of that part of the story about Jesus walking on water or healing the sick or turning water into wine. And then we have the climactic ending where Jesus dies on a cross, taking on board all the punishment for those things that we have done which separate us from God. And three days later, he is resurrected, defeating death for all time and reestablishing the connection between us and God. And the story, as I say, continues on. It's not over yet, as our story aligns with his into eternity. I imagine that many of you, even some of you who don't regularly come to a church, might recognize a Bible verse. It's probably one of the best-known Bible verses in the Bible. And it comes from John chapter 3, verse 16, and it goes like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that those who believe in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. 
I'm sure many of us will have heard something of this story or a version of it before, perhaps at Christmas, when we tend to give each other presents, maybe eat too much, maybe drink too much, to celebrate something actually at the center of it, which is really important, that is the birth of Jesus. Or maybe at Easter, as we've just celebrated, again, with all the trappings of chocolate eggs and everything else, which can sometimes, sometimes overshadow the true meaning of Easter, which is a celebration of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. To me, the story isn't just about festivities. It's been truly life-changing, and I've had the privilege of seeing it change the lives of so many, probably now thousands of people, both in this church and way beyond it. Like the couple who, when they came to this church, their marriage was on the verge of breaking down. And now, because of this story, they're reconciled. Or the man who came to this church struggling with addiction, who because of this story not only beat that addiction, but is now supporting others. Or the young person battling with self-harm, who because of this story has learned to love themselves and have grown in confidence. What is it about this story that's transformed the life transformed the lives of so many in this church, in this city, and indeed in the lives of billions around the world. I want to just talk about a few things that make the gospel not just a nice story, but truly the most important story ever told. So this, the first is this, this story is about love. Not a romantic boy meets girl and lives happily ever after kind of love, but the most powerful love in the whole of history an utterly self-giving love. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. And this is the central message, really, of the gospel, that God loves. Why did he come to earth? Why did he live among us? Why did he die for us? Because he loves us. He came to model how life should be lived and to die a death in our place, which I'll talk more about in a moment. John wrote that gospel. He also, also wrote some letters to the church in those early days, 2,000 years ago. And in 1 John chapter 4, he writes this. This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is the kind of love we're talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us. God so loves us. He so wants relationship with us. He is so passionate about us that the God of heaven and earth, creator of all things, came to the earth he created in the person of his son Jesus to be with those that he had created. God gave his one and only son, not because we deserved it, but because he loves us so much so that we might live in relationship with him. And I just want to be clear, as I talk about us, God so loved us, I'm not talking about people like me uh, and others here who would call ourselves Christians. I'm not just generally talking about the human race. I'm talking about you, every single person in this room. The story that you might be telling yourself, maybe, is that you're not loved. You don't feel loved. You don't feel special. But the simple yet unimaginable truth is that God chose to suffer and die in your place because he loves you. That verse, 1 John 4, verse 10, goes on to say that God sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. Jesus dying on the cross, 
dealt with our sin. Now, let's not get into the complexities of the sacrificial system. And it's not that God sent his son as someone separate from himself. It really is a mystery, but God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're all God together. And God became a man. There's a verse which says, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. God came to earth to deal with our sins so that we could be reconciled to him. To try and communicate why God would do this, I'm just going to share a story told by Insu Kim, who's a pastor in Vancouver. And he tells a story that had been in their news, and it was about a family who were out hiking together in a rural area of Colorado called Chalk Creek Canyon, a beautiful part of the country with trees and mountains and waterfalls. And on this Monday morning, when the family were out enjoying the scenery, there was a rock slide which sent 100-ton boulders the size of cars crashing down the mountainside onto the viewing area where they were standing. And this rock slide left a gash in the mountainside the size of a football field, and it killed five people. All members of the family were killed apart from the 13-year-old daughter who survived with only a broken leg. And she said that her father had jumped on top of her to shield her from the falling boulders, saving her life and being killed himself in the process, sacrificing his life to save hers. That's what a sacrifice looks like. And this is an illustration of God's love, a father instinctively putting his own life on the line to save his loved one, showing self-sacrificial love in action. And this is summed up so beautifully in a book of the Bible called Ephesians. It's written by one of the early church leaders, Paul, writing to a church in Ephesus in Turkey. And this is what he says, that he wanted the church to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Most of us go through life never really appreciating the depth and the wonder of just how wide, so how long, how high, how deep is the love of God for us. It defies understanding. So this story is about love. And secondly, this story is a gift. Sometimes it's hard to believe that, it's hard not to believe that we have to earn what we get. We have to earn love somehow. We live in a culture where we say things like, you get what you pay for. What goes around comes around. Because many of us carry the worldview around that we get the life that we deserve and nothing more. But in this story, God's love, this costly, bloody, passionate, self-sacrificial love is extended to us freely. John 3.16 says that he so loved us that he gave. We don't have to do anything to earn it. We couldn't even earn it if we wanted to. Maybe the story you're telling yourself is that you're not good enough for God. Perhaps there are things in your past or perhaps there are things in your life currently that mean you will never live up to God's perfect standard. Here's some news. The truth is that we cannot meet God's perfect standard. We can't repay him for all we've done to offend him, and we can't bridge the gap that our sin has created. But God repays all our debt at no cost at all to us. He extends the bridge to us freely. In the next verse, in John 3, following John 3, 16, of course, is 17, God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. 
God is not some sort of finger-wagging slave driver who demands back-breaking moral effort to win his affection. But at the same time, he's not a senile, benign old man who tolerates everyone regardless of how they live. He requires perfection, and he finds it in Jesus. If we put our faith in Jesus, then perfection is what God sees in us because Jesus lives in us. In other words, it's not about what we have done or what we will do. It's about what Jesus has done for us. A theologian I admire called Tim Keller explains this. That means when you believe in Christ, that's another way of saying the word Jesus or the person of Jesus. When you believe in Christ, you're adopted not on the basis of your record, but on his record. You're adopted into the family and treated as if you had accomplished everything he's accomplished. That's the gospel. This freely offered, undeserved gift of love is called grace. We sang about it earlier on tonight. And all we have to do is accept the gift and put our faith in Jesus. Put our trust in him to deal with everything that's ever separated us from God, our wrongdoings, the Bible calls them, our sins. Once we put our trust in Jesus, we're no longer separated from God and we can have relationship with him, the relationship that he made for us always to have. That was his intention, that we would walk closely with him. So this story is about love, this story is a gift, and it's also an adventure. I wonder if you think about this as being a good story. You know, does it feel like good news to you? Something that's exciting to step into? Uh, you know, maybe you think, well, I've got a pretty good life actually already. You know, I'm not sure I really want to run the risk of ruining it by committing my life to God. I mean, like becoming religious and I'm going to become a strange sort of person. Hope not. But it seems to me you might say that if I became a Christian, as far as I understand it, everything I want to do now is going to be prohibited and everything I don't really want to do is going to become compulsory. And, you know, you wouldn't be alone if you thought that. But it is so far from the reality. Many people have a view of what Christianity is, what faith in Jesus is, and they've been put off it. They've been put off Christianity. They've been put off Jesus because the church, perhaps, and many of its leaders seem to portray it as, well, sort of boring and irrelevant. You may have been invited here today, and maybe before you answered that text or the phone or the conversation said, yes, I'll come. Maybe in your mind you were picturing something like this. Now we come to King Solomon, whose wisdom was like a drill, boring into the rock of injustice. Boring. 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 I really hope that hasn't been your experience today, but Jesus, the person at the center of our faith, whatever the church has done and failed in over the years, Jesus is far from boring. If you read through the first few chapters of the book of John, which we're in here in the New Testament, you find that hanging out with Jesus and boring are completely unrelated concepts. It wasn't boring going to a party with Jesus. The wine ran out at a wedding banquet, and so he turned a load of water into fantastic quality wine. It says there were six 25-gallon bottles of water, jars of water, and he turned that into the equivalent of nearly a 1,000 bottles of wine. Talk about bring a bottle to the party. Jesus was and is the most extravagantly generous person you will ever meet. It wasn't boring going to a picnic with Jesus. No need to bring sandwiches. He fed over 5,000 people with a boy's lunch more than once. 
It wasn't boring going sailing with Jesus when a storm blew up which was so ferocious that the professional fishermen on board were terrified. Jesus commanded the wind and the waves to be still and instantly they were. It wasn't boring going to a funeral with Jesus. When he went to visit the family of a guy who had been dead for three or four days, Jesus spoke life back into him and he walked out of his tomb. Jesus is the most exciting person you could ever hope to meet. It is so exciting to see what he does in the lives of people as he heals them, as he transforms their lives. John 3.16 says that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. The, promises, uh, the Bible promises us that one day we will be with God for eternity, for all time. The book at the end of the Bible, the last one is called the book of Revelation, and it describes a vision of what that will look like, and it says this in Roman, Revelation 21. God's dwelling place is among the people, and he will dwell with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. You and I know, don't we, that this present world is really in a terrible mess. There is death. There are tears. There's mourning. There's crying and pain. You know, that is not the way it's supposed to be. And one day, that will be over. That is a time that we look forward to. But the gospel is not simply a story about what will happen in the afterlife, what will happen when we die, but a way of living life in the present. God gave his one and only son so that we could experience eternal life starting now. Being a follower of Jesus, a Christian, is not about living out mundane years here, hoping to get to heaven one day. When we choose to follow Jesus, the path of our story merges with his from that day forward, and our life starts to become increasingly filled with the wonderful traits that I've been talking about. Our lives become increasingly filled with love. We don't have to muster it up. We just find ourselves being more loving. Love that we feel for God, that we feel for others, the love that we experience from Him as a gift, and the adventure of following Him. As we choose to step into Jesus' story, we don't just get to go to heaven when we die. We start to see glimpses of heaven in this present life. We get to see people healed sometimes of physical conditions. Just a few weeks ago, one of our staff members back was healed as they were praying for someone else. We get to see couples who are unable to have children conceive. We have many, many children in the church here in Trent Kids who, you know, their parents couldn't conceive. They were prayed for and, of course, they've now had children. We see people with pain and suffering in their lives be comforted, be set free. Just a few weeks ago, I heard of a man who came along on a Sunday who was experiencing suicidal thoughts and at that service, one of our leaders just felt prompted that God was saying there's someone here who's considering uh, harming themselves and shared that from the front. And that person was so encouraged that God would care for them so much as to tell someone else about them and take the time in a service to actually address him that he received prayer and is now getting the help that he needs. We get to see people sometimes in desperate financial need be miraculously provided for. Life really is an adventure with Jesus as we step into that, aligning our story to his. Since I've been following Jesus, I've done things I never dreamt I would do. I've seen so many lives changed 
It's been absolutely amazing. I've seen miracles. I've prayed for people who've had significant physical conditions and they've been instantly healed permanently of that condition. I've experienced that myself, being personally healed after you know, following prayer. I've worked with people across the whole spectrum of life. You know, I've got friends who live in palaces and I've got friends who live on the streets. I've had the opportunity to care for people through intensely hard times in this country and in other parts of the world, including places like Iraq. So many things I wish I had time to tell you about. Now, I don't know how you would describe your life so far. Perhaps you'd say, well, it, good, pretty good, yeah, or maybe okay, or you know, perhaps you might feel it's not been all that you'd hoped for. Perhaps you'd use the word disappointing or lacking significance. We would all have a different answer to that. But I wonder how many of you would immediately say, my life, yeah, it's full, it's exciting, it's fruitful, it's adventurous, it's full of moments of joy. Jesus said that he came that we might have life in all its fullness, a fulfilling, exciting, fruitful life, a life of adventure and fulfillment. Now, that doesn't mean that Christians don't experience suffering and difficulties like everyone else, but life as a truly committed Christian cannot be called boring. If it is, it truly isn't the life of a truly committed Christian. It has its highs and lows, but life knowing Jesus really is an adventure. So if you're looking for excitement and fulfillment in life, I'm convinced there is nowhere else to really find it than in having a personal relationship with Jesus. So why do I think this is the most important story ever told? Because it's a story about love, it is a gift, and it is an invitation into an adventure. Now maybe that you're sitting here this evening thinking, well, it's great for you, but that's not really for me, and I'm not sure I can quite relate to that about love. You know, I don't feel that I'm very lovable. I don't feel I'm good enough. I don't feel my life really is that exciting, and I have no expectation that it could be. But what is so powerful about this story, what makes it so life-changing, is that this story is true. At the center of the Christian message is the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth 2,000 years ago, was killed on a cross, and was raised back to life after three days. Now, the historical evidence for the existence of Jesus of Nazareth is completely irrefutable. There's more evidence for him than there is for Julius Caesar, for instance. But uh, you might say, well, what about that? that resurrection bit. That's kind of hard to believe, you know. Surely that's just an old Sunday school story. Doesn't really carry any weight now, does it? Surely science would disprove someone could be resurrected from the dead. There have been many people more clued up than me who find the evidence irrefutable, so let me just give you a couple. Professor Thomas Arnold, who was the chair of modern history at Oxford University, so obviously a man well acquainted with the value of evidence in determining historical facts, he once said this, I've been used for many years to studying the histories of other times and to examining and weighing the evidence of those who have written about them. And I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of the fair inquirer than the great sign which God has given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead to the understanding of the fair inquirer. If you go in it with a closed mind, you could shut it off. But if you go and say, well, look at the evidence, 
Wow, no one fact in the whole of history that may be overstated, but clearly there's massive evidence for it. You might say, well, yes, he's only one guy, admittedly an Oxford professor of history, but surely he's overstating the case here. So let's just go to one other. John Singleton Copley, also known as Lord Lyndhurst, was a former Lord Chief Justice of England, the highest-ranking lawyer in the land, and he wrote this about the resurrection. In its favor as living truth, there exists... Such overwhelming evidence, positive and negative, factual and circumstantial, that no intelligent jury in the world could fail to bring in a verdict that the resurrection story is true. So, I'm arguing that the Christian message is the truth. But it's one thing to know it in one's head, but a relationship with God through the Christian faith, you know, Christianity involves more than an intellectual understanding. Debbie and I started to go out together, that's what we called it in the old days, uh, a little over 39 years ago, can you believe? We were like three years old at the time. (laughs) Maybe a little more, but 39 years ago. And suppose before I had met her, I had mentioned to someone how much I'd like to get to know about Debbie, and they said, you know, there's actually a book out about her. It's called The Wonderful Girl (laughs) Debbie. Thank you to Heinz, a member of our media team, for creating this amazing picture. And this, this book, you know, which includes chapters like the, chapter one, The Great Potential Wife, chapter two, Debbie's Good Looks, chapter three, the, Debbie the Cordon Bleu Cook, and a very exciting chapter four, which I can't go into now. I might say to myself, wow, she sounds like the kind of person, the person I want to marry. Now, obviously, being intellectually convinced of that is one thing, okay, the truth about her, but nearly 35 years of marriage now enables me to say I know she is a wonderful person. And similarly, I have the experience of knowing Jesus. When a Christian says they know the message of Christianity is true, they're saying I've experienced firsthand that Jesus is real. I believe this is true because I've experienced it in my life and I've seen it transform the lives of so many others. A few of the stories, as was mentioned before, are captured in this little book, Changing Lives. Stories of people in the life of the church whose lives have been turned around by meeting and knowing Jesus. And one of those people, we've got some videos on the website you might like to check out. One of them is James. Let's hear him tell his own story. When I was growing up, I uh, wasn't in a Christian family. I wouldn't have called myself Christian. Uh, I think if you'd pushed me, I would have said that I believed in God, uh, but I did, wasn't excited about spending time with him. Uh, he, he never de- determined my actions, or I'd never seek his advice about what I was going to do. Uh, and I was just living life my own way, basically. So um, I went to Nottingham University to study medicine, um, and uh, I got stuck in with doing all of the stuff that an 18 year old boy does at university. Um, I, you know, got stuck into my course, I drank too much, I slept around um, and uh, I met a couple of guys in halls who I became close with 
who turned out to be Christians, um, which surprised me a bit actually, just they were so normal um, and such a good laugh. Um, and uh, I ended up living with those two in my second year of university. Um, I'd had a very difficult summer before second year started when my parents had split up after my dad had an affair. And I was struck by how loving and how kind um, and how, how supportive my housemates were. Like they didn't know me that well, but um, I was bowled over by that. So uh, there was a key moment in my third year of university um, when I spoke at my grandmother's funeral and one of my aunties approached me afterwards um, and kind of looked me in the eye and was like, James, do you know who Jesus is? Um, I didn't even know that this auntie was a Christian. Um, that really struck me and kind of caught me off guard a little bit. Uh, I then came back to Nottingham and was speaking with one of my guy housemates in my living room about what had happened at the funeral. Um, and he again kind of looked me in the eye and was like, James, after everything that's happened in the last year, you're, you're pretty much a Christian, which is a bold move. Um, and I, I broke down when he, when he said that. And um, I, I felt really empty. Um, in, in, that, in that moment, I realized how empty my lifestyle at that point was. Um, the following week, I was grasping at something that would fill that void. And so said to myself, you know, maybe I'll give this Christian, uh, this Christian thing a go. And so told my housemates that I, you know, like to go to church with them that Sunday um, and went along with one of my other housemates. Um, and um, I had a really powerful experience of the Holy Spirit in that church, uh, whereby I um, stood up for one of the worship songs at the end of the service. Uh, and I couldn't, well, so first thing, I, I couldn't stop crying. Um, secondly, I felt, I could see visibly that the room had become very bright. Um, and um, I had an overwhelming sense of peace, and yet I was I was really energized, like full, really energized, um, and it felt like someone had kind of plugged a socket into the bottom of my foot. Um, uh, it was an incredible feeling, and it it was at that moment that um, I gave my life to Jesus. Um, and since that day back in 2012, a lot has changed outwardly in my life, but uh, the biggest changes have actually been how I am on the inside. Um, all of the jumping through hoops that I would uh, do in order to feel accepted and feel valued, um, all the masks that I would wear so that I could look at other people and myself in the mirror without feeling really ashamed um, all the horrible things that I've done and all the horrible things that I've thought about people it was just washed away it, 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 um, and it was and that was Jesus um, and I felt and I feel so grateful 
that the daily he's he's taking that shame away. Um, just because I'm a Christian now, it doesn't mean that life's perfect uh, and that life's always easy. But I have a confidence um, and something kind of at the pit of my stomach which just says you're going to spend eternity getting to know Jesus. And that is, that is really powerful and it's, it's the most amazing feeling. I don't know what story you're telling about your own life, but I do know that there's an invitation this evening to commit your life to becoming part of Jesus' story if that's what you're ready to do. A story where you are completely and utterly loved, where you are offered the free gift of being fully accepted by God no matter what your life looks like or what you think you've done. A story that is full of adventure that will lead you into a life of fulfillment and a story that is absolutely true. That invitation is open to everyone here and in a moment there'll be an opportunity to say yes to Jesus for those of you who would want to do that. Now some of you might say, well I'm not really ready for that but I'd like to find out some more, I'd like to explore some more and um, next week I'll be talking more about what living a life with Jesus means and then the following Sunday the wonderful girl called Debbie will be talking and speaking about living out our true identity as children of God. Or you might want to sign up for the Alpha course beginning this Thursday, where you'll have the opportunity to find out more about Jesus, explore questions about the Christian faith. (laughs) 